اہدبلّہشیطانجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم و الحکم الہ واحد لا الہ اللہ الرحمٰن الرحیم انفی خلق السماوات و لرد وختلاف اللیل و نہاری و الفلق اللتی تجریف البخل بمائی بما ینف الناس و ما انزل اللہ من السماء مما انف اخیابه الارض بعد موتها وبث فيها من كل دابة وتسريف الرياح والسحاب المسخر بين السماء والأرض لآيات لقوم يعقلون And uh, there's a translation of uh, chapter 2 verse 164 and 165 And your God is one God There is no God but He the gracious, the merciful Verily in the creation of the heavens and the earth and in the alternation of night and day and in the ships which sail in the sea with that which profits men and in the water which Allah sends down from the sky and quickens there with the earth after, uh, there with af- after its death and scatters therein all kinds of beasts and in the change of the winds and the clouds pressed into service between the heaven and the earth are indeed signs for the people who understand. In commentary of these verses, Hazrat Muslim one who explained that Allah Ta'ala has described the two basic attributes of Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim here, the gracious and the merciful. And these two attributes essentially encompass all of the creation of Allah Almighty and all of our interactions and our relationship with Him. The first is Ar-Rahman, which applies to all those mercies of His that He gave to us without our having ever asked for it. Everything that was given to us our creation, our being caused to evolve to this point, everything that was provided for us and subjected in the earth for our sake. And the second is Ar-Rahim, which has to do with the rewards that we receive as a result of our actions. This applies materially and spiritually as well. When a person uses the laws of nature that Allah Ta'ala has created and uses the things that are created in this world, then they bring about a positive result as a result of the mercy of Allah Almighty, the Rahimiyat. So Rahimiyat extends from our free will to do a certain action all the way up until the reward or punishment that we receive in the hereafter on the Day of Judgment. Rahimiyat encompasses the result or the reaction to our actions. So in this way, Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim encompass all of the attributes of Allah Almighty and everything that, is, that, that our relationship with Allah Ta'ala is. When these attributes come by themselves, they encompass everything. But many times they are mentioned with other attributes. And there where they are mentioned with other attributes, they take on a more specific meaning and context of those other attributes. So there are different uses of these attributes in the Holy Quran, but in their basic meaning and their essence, they carry that uh, summary of the being of Allah Almighty. In commentary of verse 165, Hazrat Masih Maud explained that the more scientific research is done into the world and its physical realities, the more it leads us to the concept of the unity of Allah Almighty. This is a point that in their tafsir, Hazrat Khalifat al-Masih al-Awwal and Hazrat Muslim al-Rizgila explained in further detail about how all the perfection in the world indicates to the fact that we have an intelligent designer behind this world. The idea that this world came about is a mere coincidence. The atheistic position is an absurdity. It is something that goes against any observable reality. Hazur gave the example of a Bedouin who said that when I observe that there is feces laying in the desert, then I assume that a camel has passed by here 
or a goat has passed by here. So when I see the perfection of everything that exists in this world, is it not enough for me to assume that at the very least an intelligent designer has passed through this world or has passed through this corner of the universe? Of course it is. Whenever we see anything that has been created by man that requires complexity, simultaneous parts come together that need ingenuity, like a watch or anything else, then our first assumption is that there must be a creator for this. So on the other hand, to say that human life could exist without a creator is just as absurd as saying that a Rolex that we find sitting in the forest or a 747 that we find sitting somewhere came about just by mere coincidence. One coincidence can happen, a couple of coincidences can happen. If you give something enough of an opportunity, then even a very, very unlikely coincidence can happen. After all, people win the lottery every day. Very unlikely for a person to win the lottery, but you give it enough opportunities and it's inevitable that somebody is going to win it. However, for us as human beings to exist requires an impossible number of coincidences that cannot be justified even in the hundreds of millions and billions of years that it has taken for life to come about. Just as us as a human species, the points that Azad Khifar Abir described in Revelation Rationality about how the human eye and the human ear could have only come into existence by so many different parts of the ear and eye evolving simultaneously and functioning and coming together perfectly and independently of each other to form a well-functioning and well-oiled, perfectly attuned machine. We can say that perhaps as a coincidence, one of those pieces could have developed coincidentally by evolution. But for a whole bunch of different parts to develop coincidentally and then function perfectly together as a result of evolution and coincidental evolution is inconceivable. The ear would not work and the eye would not work without all of these things coming together perfectly simultaneously independent of each other as a result of a gradual growth and a gradual progression in that evolution. So to suggest that we as human beings could exist as a result of coincidence is a mathematically absurd position to take. That doesn't mean that a person has to accept that the God of Islam is the true God. It just leads a person to the obvious conclusion that this world must have an intelligent designer behind it. And that is a starting point from which we begin our journey towards Islam and towards the search for Allah Almighty. Now, coming back to the point that Hazrat Masih made, he said that the more science discovers, the more it points towards this reality. Further discoveries in science do not take us towards atheism. They take us towards the further realization of the absurdity of this idea that this, all of this could have come about from coincidence. The more we study and understand DNA and RNA, for example, how much is written in there into exactly how we as human beings are to evolve step by step the way it is pre-planned. Mutations cannot explain everything. It only explains a small aspect of it. And here we are only talking about evolution, not the revolution that was needed for DNA and RNA to come into existence in the first place. All of these things and these mysteries do not prove categorically that the God of Islam is true. That's not its purpose. But it proves that the atheistic position is absurd. And it proves that this world must have an intelligent designer behind all of the great complexity and all the scientific, uh, the, the, the simultaneous complexity that comes together to form everything that is needed for human life. Another point that Hazrat Masih made is that he quoted um, one person who Azur said that he very much liked this statement of his. And he said that if all of the books in the world were destroyed, still the God of Islam would remain. And what he meant by this is that the God that Islam presents is not a being who is dependent on any particular doctrine and that if that doctrine were to disappear then all evidence of Allah Ta'ala would cease to exist. 
For example, we have Christianity and the concept of Trinity. The only thing that is propping up this concept is Christian priests and their continued insistence that God is three and three and one. If all the priests were to go away and all the books of Christianity were to go away, then this concept of Trinity would disappear along with it. No one would on their own come back to a concept that there is a Father and a Son and a Holy Ghost and that all three are one and one are three and that eventually you know, God sent his Son and so on and so forth. This concept of Trinity is a pure invention of man that is only sustained by the foolishness of man. But Islam, on the other hand, the God that it presents, even if all the Muslims went away, every Imam went away, all the books were born, burned and the Holy Quran disappeared. Still, the Holy Quran, in, in particular in this verse, teaches that everything in nature indicates towards one singular intelligent designer behind all that is observable in this world. The world itself stands as testimony for the fact that the God of Islam exists. And the world itself as testimony is sufficient. It does not need anybody to support it with any doctrine or any book or any preaching or anything like that. So this is a beautiful point on the power of the very logic of the God of Islam on which it is founded. That if no book existed and everything went away, the God of Islam would still exist. But if all the books in the world were burnt, then most of the gods of other religions would cease to exist that are not founded on the unity of God and the singular intelligent designer of Islam. These concepts of trinity, these concepts of binitarianism, whatever it is, are the inventions of human beings, which can only be sustained as long as those human beings sustain those gods. In that way, those gods are dead gods that are only kept living by the human beings that they depend on to propagate those deities. If those human beings were to cease to exist, then those gods would cease to exist as well. And so in these cases, the human beings who propagate these gods are in fact the masters and the sustainers of such false gods. Whereas in, the, in, in Islam, the unity and the singular being who is the intelligent source of this entire world is a being who is in no, need, in no way dependent on us as human beings giving testimony to his existence. Another point that Hazrat Muslim who mentioned in commentary of this verse is on our journey towards discovering Allah Almighty. Now this goes into a point on how we discover Allah Ta'ala through these verses on a more spiritual level. But before we go into that point, if anybody has any questions on what we covered so far, then uh, we can address them before going to the next point. All right, if there's no questions, we can go to the next point. Um, so as a Muslim one who explained that one point that Allah Ta'ala teaches us in this verse is that we as creation are dependent on the creation of Allah Almighty to recognize Him. But we do not recognize Allah Ta'ala immediately and then come to appreciate Him through His creation. It's the other way around. And He gave the example of how an infant grows into childhood and a childhood grows into adulthood. <clears throat> In the beginning, a child does not know who its mother is or what its mother is. It only knows that it receives nursing milk from the breast of its mother. And automatically, as a newborn child, it looks for that breast for, for, the, for its sustenance. At that point, it does not have a living relationship with its mother, probably does not even recognize that its mother is a conscious being. But then slowly it begins to connect that this milk is coming from a person, and the face of that mother is behind that person that is giving that sustenance, and it starts to fall in love with the face of that mother, the person of its mother. This is a gradual process. So this consciousness and the awareness of the source of that blessing is something that an infant has to learn. The same thing applies with human beings. In the beginning, we see the different blessings that Allah Ta'ala gives us. 
But only afterwards do we recognize the face that is behind it, the eyes that are behind it, the conscious, intelligent being who out of his affection of love is giving us all of these things. This is the journey to recognition of Allah Almighty. Huzur gave it another analogy that when a very small infant, if you were to put your finger in front of that infant, he would start playing with it. He would think that that finger is an object in and of itself. He wouldn't realize that there's a person in the room. There's someone who is behind that finger. Then when the child grows a little bit older, you put your finger in front of the child, it immediately recognizes and sees that I see this finger, therefore I know that my mother and my father is in the room. And it looks back and follows that finger to see where your face is, to see where you are, because now it knows that this is not just a toy. It's not just a finger that is independently existing on its own and floating here in front of my eyes, but it is connected to a person. It is a part of a person. It is part of something greater. So this understanding of that which is greater happens gradually as we grow. It is not something that we are born with. And connecting the dots is something that we achieve through these different stages of maturity. This also applies with our relationship with Allah Almighty. When we see different manifestations of the glory and power of Allah Almighty in this world, many of which have been described in this verse, at first a person thinks that these are just independent realities that are floating on their own in the universe. There is no intelligence behind it. And this is a foolish position to take, of course, similar to how a child thinks that this finger is just something that exists on its own for me to chew on. There is nobody behind it. For that level of maturity that a person has, it's understandable. It's not something that we look down upon. But for a fully grown adult or for a fully grown child to think that a finger is something on its own, that shows that there is something deficient in their understanding and thinking. So in the same way on a spiritual level, a person must mature past the point of just looking at the world for face value and eventually understand the being who is behind it, the intelligence that is behind it. That is how recognition of Allah Almighty comes. And this is an important point when it comes to our spirituality. Because spirituality in its more subtle sense, in its more advanced forms, really comes down to recognizing Allah Ta'ala through His favors upon us. That's why gratitude is so much emphasized. Being grateful to Allah Almighty's favors when we pray to Him, when we remember Him, when we think of Him, we start by thinking about all the different favors that He has done to us. We bring that picture before our minds of who Allah Ta'ala is through His actions. Then through those actions, we start connecting the dots back to that Creator, that Being, until we come to the Being of Allah Almighty. So the actions of Allah Ta'ala we see around us, they connect us to the attributes of Allah Almighty. Then those attributes bring us back to the Being of Allah Almighty Himself. This is the process by which we recognize Allah Almighty and this is a process that can help us in the observance of our prayers. When a person starts to observe a prayer and they have something in their mind that they want to pray for or they wish to come into communion with Allah Almighty and they feel a distance with Allah Ta'ala, they feel Him to be far off, a stranger, they don't feel that closeness and they want to feel that closeness. This same process that we go through in the entirety of our lives we can apply in the microcosm of our individual prayer and in an individual salat that first we start reflecting on the favors and the actions of Allah Almighty, that finger that is before us, that hand that is before us. Then we connect the dots back to those attributes, those actions, all those different expressions of love that He showed us. And then eventually we see the being of Allah Almighty. And then that distance would no longer be there. And we see our Creator before us in the intimacy and the closeness with which we want to see Him. And then the prayer that we offer is something that comes out of recognition of Allah Ta'ala and from the depths of our hearts. So this verse in the Holy Qur'an teaches us that first stage and points out to us that first stage of recognizing Allah Ta'ala in the beginning through His actions and creation and then moving forward towards recognizing Him as a being and as an, on an individual level. 
One other point that Hazrat Muslim one who explained in this commentary, which I'll cover, is about how this same concept is mentioned in the story of Hazrat Ibrahim salam that comes before the words that we always recite at the beginning of prayer of Inni wajahtu samawati wal hanifan wa ma ana min al This is a verse that we recite at the beginning of every prayer. But there is a story that is behind this prayer. And that story is a debate that Hazrat Ibrahim salam had with his people, wherein he refuted their arguments hypothetically one by one. First, by hypothetically adopting the position of saying that the stars are my gods in the way that his people worship the stars. And then he's, when he saw that the stars set, he said that how can I worship those things that set? Then the moon rose and he said that the moon is now my god. But then when the moon set, he again said that how can I worship that which sets? I do not love those things that set. If my Lord guide me not, then I will surely be among those who are misguided. Then when the sun rose, he said that this is the greatest in the way that his people would say and hypothetically adopted their position and said that this is the greatest, so this is my God. But then when it set, he said that I am free of what you associate with Allah Almighty. To his people, he said, I am absolved of this and I turn my full attention towards him who is the creator of the heavens and the earth being ever inclined to him and I am not among those who associate partners with him. Hazrat Muslim one who explained that in this story, Hazrat Ibrahim explained a journey that a person goes through in life as well. That when they are a child, they make one thing their God. And they think that is the source of their happiness. Then afterwards, they abandon that and they think that something else is their God. Some other greater pursuit. When a person is a child, they think that their mother is their God. <clears throat> and they would never imagine that they would turn their attention away from their mother to someone else. Then afterwards, they start to worship their friends and think that all their happiness lies in their friends. Then they turn their attention away from them and think all their happiness lies in their spouse. Then they turn their attention away from her and think that all their happiness lies in <clears throat> society and the respect and power that they receive. Whatever it is, these are the different gods that we worship as they rise and then we abandon as they set on the horizon. This is the journey of human life as we go through these different types of idolatry within our heart and the journey we go to towards discovering Allah Almighty. <clears throat> in this story and the analogy that it teaches us, we learn the journey that we must take to get to Salat as well. When we start Salat, when we start our Namaz, we start with the words that come at the end of a story. And that has to be appreciated. Namaz begins with the words of Wajahtu Wajhiyah. But the words of Wajahtu Wajhiyah end with the culmination of a story. So in this way, we have to remember that Salat is, the beginning of Salat is actually the end of a journey. It is not just a beginning in and of itself. So when we begin Salat, we must remember that when we say these words of inni wajahtu, wajhi alillazi, the ideal way of observing these words with reflection, if we wish to pause and reflect on these words, is to remember that these words come after we have realized the failure of our endeavors to find happiness in all the other gods that we worship and the idols that we put before Allah Ta'ala. We can reflect at that point on our daily life, for example, on what are the different things that attract us away from Allah Ta'ala and towards themselves? What is the pursuit of happiness that we pursue that makes us lean away from Allah Ta'ala? Junah, which is the word that the word gunah comes from, actually has the meaning of leaning, inclining towards something. And we, this, this was a word that came in a previous verse and as the Masih had described its etymology and I had skipped it at that time, but I'll quickly go over it now just in context here, that junah means to incline, 
And that is that the word Urdu word gunah comes from, which is a sin. So when a person does junah, it means that they have inclined away from Allah Almighty. That is the implication here. So when we start our prayer, we can ask ourselves that what are those different gods that we incline towards? And then we can reflect on how they set, afala. You know, how the stars and the moon and the sun set. They rise and they are glorious in the sky when they are at their height, but then eventually when they fall onto the horizon and they disappear, they disappoint us. So we can reflect there on how those things have disappointed us before, how these things will inevitably disappoint us in the future. And then from our heart, those words of Hazrat Ibrahim salam can come, that la uhibbul afilin, that I do not love those things that set, that I absolve myself of the worship of all these things that eventually will disappoint me. And then, inni wajahtu samawati wal hanifan wa ma'ana min al so the journey of Salat begins with the end of another journey. And as the Muslim one who explained that these points of the progression to spiritual maturity apply to the story of Hazrat Ibrahim salam as well, which bring us to the beginning of Salat. And this verse of the Holy Quran, which talks about all these different signs, are signs for They are signs for a people who understand. Akal. Akal has to do with our capacity for understanding. A child and an infant does not have akal because he thinks that the finger that we are putting in its mouth to chew on is something that exists independently. So also we as a spiritually mature human being, if we think that all these blessings of Allah Ta'ala are independent and there is no God behind it, that person lacks akal. He lacks that basic capacity to connect those dots or he has not used that capacity yet. So to be able to connect those dots is a sign of spiritual maturity and it is of only benefit to la'ayatilli qawmi yaqilun. That it is a benefit and it is a sign for those people who understand and who use their akal. So now if there's any uh, questions, on, uh, then we can address them. Alrighty, if there's no questions, then we can end here and we'll continue inshallah tomorrow. Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala Ali Muhammad wa barik wa sallim inna ka khamidun majid.